Good morning again, and today uh, we embark on a new journey, and I am thrilled to be starting a new series called You Are Not an Algorithm. And originally I had planned for three weeks, and I realized uh, when I started putting this sermon together, whoa, okay, we're going to need a few more uh, sermons because three weeks will not cover. I, I know, Cassidy, I'm sorry. I Well... Uh, so I think we're going to take this into a, uh, a four-week series because there is so much here that we have to talk about over the next four weeks. Now, I like to begin every series with a bit of why are we doing this series? Because I'm sure you always want to know, okay, well, what's the point of this? Why are we actually going to talk about algorithms and big tech and big data for the next four weeks? And the reason why I want to do this series is because I want to look at our relationship with technology and how it is unconsciously shaping our lives. Specifically in four different ways. How it's defining our value, turning us into commodities, stealing our attention, and narrowing our world. And my hope uh, by talking about this over the next four weeks is that I, I want to bring awareness to the power that technology can have over us. Because it can. Uh, technology exerts this power over our lives. And many times, we're not even aware of that power and what it's doing to us, how it's shaping us. So number one, awareness. And I, I always believe awareness is the starting point. Because once you're aware of something, you can begin to make changes. I, whenever you're unaware... Uh, that's when y you can't make those changes because you don't even know how something is working on you. So I want to bring awareness to how the technology that we use on a regular, everyday basis is forming our lives in a particular direction. And then I want to offer some practices so that we can take our power back, so that we can take charge over the direction in which our life is heading. Now, here's how this series was birthed. First off, I want to say this. I've been working on this series for about a year at this point. <laughs> uh, I didn't know when the right time to do it was. I never felt quite right, never felt quite ready. So I've been working on this one for about a year. And these are a whole bunch of thoughts and ideas that have been kind of sitting within me now for a while. And I finally decided, all right, let me outline them, put them together, put them in a form that I can present to all of you. So... Uh, I, I don't take this series lightly. Th this is something that's really meaningful to me, and it's really been important for my thinking over the past year. I mean, even longer. I mean, lo look at what I have up here. Here's how it was birthed. So there was a passage in Scripture that I stumbled across years ago when I was back in seminary, when I was taking the Pentateuch class, a passage in Genesis of all places that talks about technology and the power that technology can have over us. And I remember reading this like, oh, my goodness. They talk about technology in the beginning of Genesis. What? I thought this was this ancient book. What, what do they have to say about Facebook and Instagram and YouTube uh, and Netflix and all the other social media platforms and places that we go on? What can they say about data tracking? Yet I, I believe that the starting point for technology, it, it's right in Genesis chapter 4. So I've had this verse, this idea swirling around within me for 15 or so years and then last year, I have a friend uh, that you would, we would all call him a techie. I love this guy. I went to high school, probably one of my earliest friends. Went to kindergarten with him. 
Uh, he moved to Texas, but we talk all the time together. One of those friends that you don't see for a couple of years, but you get together and it's like everything is the same. You just pick up right where you left off. So for me, this is one of those friends. And <laughs> we, we talk about technology all the time. He's trying to give me tips, ways to protect myself online. I'm like, you could totally just hack into my computer from in Texas if you wanted to, right? And he's like, yeah, I could. I'm like, with, without me even knowing, he's like, yeah, I could. He's like, I don't want to do that, but he's that good. He's one of those people that could hack your computer, steal your numbers, all those things. And so we were talking about technology and some of the dangers of it. And I said, all right, give me the best couple of books to read. So he gave me a reading list. And that's what I've been reading for about a year, here and there, a bunch of these books. This series then will be a combination of the verse in Genesis, uh, what's been working on me for a long time, and my conversation with my friend, and these books on technology that I have been sifting through for about a year or so. And we come up with this sermon series, You Are Not an Algorithm. So let's begin in Genesis chapter 4, uh, because of course every conversation on technology has to begin with the story of Cain, because that's naturally where you thought this would go, right? <laughs> Genesis 4, 17. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mahuyael. And Mahuyael was the father of Metushael, and Metushael was the father of Lamech. Little tongue twister to get your Sunday morning started, right? Now, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Yabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, great name, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Naama. What are we reading here in Genesis? I lo okay, I love the blank looks, quizzical stares. How in the, what, how is he going to connect this? <laughs> what this is describing is the move from a hunter-gatherer society to an agricultural society. This is forward progress right here. This is the advancement of culture and technology. What we read in this genealogy is the development of cities, which, if you've been a hunter-gatherer society and now you're settling down, you're building a city, is that not a step forward? Is that not progress being made? And when you no longer have to spend your entire day looking around, hunting food, just trying to survive, well, now you have space for creativity. Now you can start creating all sorts of fun things, uh, like musical instruments, pipes, lyres, and tools as well, bronze, iron, all these tools, all these weapons. So all the way back in ancient times, Genesis chapter 4, almost like right at the beginning of the Bible, we start with this, here's the advancement of technology. Now, here's what I find extremely interesting about this. This is a highly subversive passage. Why? Because in the ancient world, humanity, you and me, Humans weren't the ones who made technological advancements, 
rather technology, instruments, agriculture, tools, weapons, they were a gift given to us, given to humanity by the gods. And so what we would do is we would have a god like Osiris, who is the god of agriculture and the arts of life. And if we wanted our crops to, get, to grow, it wasn't about us, like, yeah, we had to do the work. We had to get out there. We had to plow. But we needed rain as well. And so if you want rain for your crops to grow, remember, we're moving from a hunter-gatherer society to now an agricultural society. You need the rain because you're relying on your crops. Otherwise, you will not survive. What are you going to do? You're going to offer a sacrifice to Osiris. You're going to pray for rain. You're going to offer the right sacrifices, enough of the sacrifices, so that the god of agriculture will bless you. We have Enki, who thought about John Shu for this one, the god of magic. Now, how often uh, do you get down in front of the altar to Enki in your home? <laughs> Enki. Enki. You don't know Enki? <laughs> you know Enki, right? No? If you wanted to learn new magic tricks, well, you would offer sacrifices to Enki. You would pray to Enki and say, teach me more magic. I mean, you have all of these gods. Enki, the god of magic, wisdom, arts, craft, koshar, uh, the divine artisan and forger of metal. Thank you to this god for giving us all these tools made of metal. Apollo, he was the founder of towns, and he invented, of all things, the flute. How would you like that? Like, you're a god. You're like, yeah, wh what do you do? Invent I invented the sword. I gave humans the sword. What did you do? I invented the flute. <laughs> but in Genesis, humanity, you, me, we are the ones responsible for discovering, creating, and inventing. They weren't solely something that was handed to us by the gods. Rather, it was this power, this creative power within each of us that moved life forward. We could say this is a God-given power that's inherent within humanity, within each of us. This power to take where we are and then to move civilization forward ever so slightly. So whenever we start this conversation about technology, we have to be very clear. Technology is a good thing. Technology is great. It's God's desire that we would grow. God has blessed us with these creative juices to take where we were to bring us to here, but not to stop here, but rather to keep moving forward. If you notice about the Bible, where does it start? In a garden. Beginning of Genesis, we begin in a garden. And where does it end? Where does Revelation 21 end? In a city. The movement of the entire Bible is from a garden to a city. And what is a city? But rather just like a whole bunch of well-arranged gardens. So progress, advancement, it's baked into the story of the Bible. The Bible shows humans moving from where they are and then ever. I mean, you have this innate desire within you. Like, things are good, but you want things better for your family, for your kids. I mean, how many people came from Europe to America because they said, I want a better life for my family? 
I mean, this is innate within all of us. We want to leave something better behind for the generation that will come after us. So at the heart of technological progress is this idea, this idea that, yeah, things are good here, but we can always take it one step. We can keep creating. We can keep discovering. Forward progress is good. Uh, you want to know uh, why you all know this? A couple of reasons why. I created a list for us this morning. What would we do if we didn't have fire? Think about the discovery of fire. You can now cook your food. And now you're not going outside and cooking your food in your front yard, but you have an oven. Uh, you use a microwave. Sure, it's not fire in the way that we understand fire like this, but the fact that we can actually heat our food up, it allowed us to grow as a society. What about this one? The invention of the wheel. What if we were still walking? How many of you would be here this morning if you had to walk here by foot? How many of you would be at the job that you're at now if you had to get there by foot? <laughs> Janelle. <laughs> Janelle and Adrian. But how would you get to those homes? Yeah, the invention of the wheel, it, it allowed us a little bit more mobility to get from place to place with more ease. Uh, what about this one? I love this one. Google Maps. <laughs> how often do we rely on Google Maps to get us where we are? I remember I, would print the, I used to print the directions out and I'd have it in the front seat next to me. Now I'm lost. Let me take out my phone and plug in the address. Oh, thank goodness. This, one time I was lost in the middle of Queens at like 11 o'clock at night. Google Maps phone died. <laughs> Without Google Maps, we're lost. So technology, it's a really, really good thing. How about this one? Indoor plumbing, right? You still want to go out to that outhouse in those cold winter mornings, trudge through the snow in order to get to the outhouse? Indoor plumbing. And here, one of my favorites who was uh, introduced to me by Cassidy, the Starbucks app. Yes, you see everyone waiting in line in the drive-thru or on the line there in, in the store and you're just like, walk up. You feel so cool. <laughs> I mean, everyone kind of like stares at you with this longing look in their face and you just walk right up. And then as you slowly make your way, a little sip as you walk out the door. <laughs> so technology, it's a really, really good thing. Uh, who were all these inventions created by? People. God-given creativity. This God-given desire within us to discover and to keep moving things forward. So you have all been given this incredible power to dream, to create, uh, but this power comes with a warning. Question for us this morning. Whose genealogy did we read? Cain's. Second question, what happened to Cain's line after this genealogy is recorded? Any idea? They're gone. They're wiped out. We have this genealogy. We hear about Cain and his family, and then we hear of them no more. The story shifts now to another son of Adam. The very next line after what we read, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. We have Cain's story wiped out, gone. Now we have the story of Seth. Cain's genealogy had made all this progress, but they weren't able to sustain themselves. So here's the warning that we have when we talk about technology. Do not allow your technological progress to outpace your moral progress. 
we all have to develop the character, the wisdom, the discipline, and the fortitude to sustain our technological progress. Otherwise, there's a chance that we might do harm to who we are as humans. We could destroy ourselves physically. We can destroy ourselves spiritually as well. The soul, that which is deep, deep within us, we have been called to protect that precious part of ourselves. With technology, we can tarnish the soul, if not used properly. So how do we develop practices to protect and care for your soul, the sacred, precious resource that you are? Now, as we begin, uh, I have to give you two definitions here. When we talk about technology, let's uh, look, at the, look at these two words, data and algorithm. Definition of data, facts and statistics collected together for reference or analysis. So when we talk about data in light of technology in our online world, here's the type of data that I'm talking about. All the clicks that you make on your phone or on your computer, the things that you like on social media, uh, everything that you post, all the searches that you do, the length of time that you're at a particular website, uh, where you spend your time and money, and who you spend your time with. Here's what I find really, really interesting. Uh, raise your hand if you have a cell phone in, in here with you right now this morning. There's information, there's data being collected on you right now saying that you are here with this group of people <laughs> in this theater for an hour. And if this is your regular routine, advertisers, companies know that this is a regular routine of yours. This is a path that you take on a regular weekly basis. You are leaving a trail behind you everywhere you go. With every click, with every place that your feet and your phone walk, you are leaving a whole plethora of data. Now let's talk about this word algorithm. Algorithm is a procedure used for solving a problem or performing a computation. So here's an example of an algorithm that I see every single one of you have performed this morning. Uh, putting your clothes on. It's an algorithm. It's a certain procedure. You have all figured out a way to put your clothes on in a way that works for you. So you probably put one article of clothing on first every single morning. You do it the same way every day, right? You put something on, then you put something else on, and then you kind of have your algorithm that you go through because there's a desired outcome and that is that you're fully clothed when you walk out the door. We all know this is a good thing. So algorithms, they're a good thing. They're a system, uh, some procedure that you do for a desired outcome. In tech, algorithms are computer-generated procedures in order to predict your behavior. <laughs> all the data, everything that you're clicking, posting, everywhere that you go, it's put through this computer-generated algorithm in order to predict where you will be, who you will be with, where you will go, what you will click on, the things that you will purchase. Scary, right? <laughs> now, uh, here's a book, 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts, right now. <laughs> Jaron Lanier, uh, computer scientist from Silicon Valley. Small little book. I'm going to read a section from it. Algorithms gorge on data about you every second. What kinds of links do you click on? What videos do you, videos do you watch all the way through? How quickly are you moving from one thing to the next? 
Where are you when you do these things? Who are you connecting with in person and online? This one's real. I mean, I circle this. What facial expressions do you make? Is that camera watching us? <laughs> How does your skin tone change in different situations? Now, Jaron Lanier, he was responsible for creating many of the social platforms that we use on a regular basis. He writes this book as a warning to each of us. Be careful. Be careful. The technology that you use, the platforms that you use. He continues, what were you doing just before you decided to buy something or not? What, what sites were you looking at before you decided to finally make that purchase? And here we go. The algorithms don't really understand you, but there's power in numbers, especially in large numbers. If a lot of other people who like the foods you like were also more easily put off by pictures of a candidate portrayed in a pink border instead of a blue one, then you probably will be too. And no one needs to know why. So-called advertisers can seize the moment when you are perfectly primed and then influence you with messages that have worked on other people who share traits and situations with you. Here are what I think are two dangers of algorithms. They tell us what to value, and they communicate to you your value. We are constantly being ranked, sorted, and compared to others. Let's look at that first warning. Uh, they tell us what to value. Have you ever received an email? Or maybe you're on Netflix. Hey, we have a couple suggestions for you. A few recommendations for you. I mean, Amazon knows me so well, it's scary. Book recommendations. I look through, I'm like, oh my goodness. How did they know? <laughs> and every single time I end up buying a book from one of those recommendations, I'm like, they got me again. How many of us use Netflix? Do you remember uh, years ago when Netflix started, you could create your own queue of movies that you wanted to watch? Have you noticed that Netflix has done away with this and now they curate the queue for you? Uh, here's another book, Everybody Lies. Netflix stopped asking people to tell them what they wanted to see in the future and started building a model based on millions of clicks and views from similar, again, here's that comparing, similar customers. The company began greeting its users with suggested lists of films based not on what they claimed to like, but on what the data said they were likely to view. Here's the result. They have more of your eyeballs, more of your attention. The customers visited Netflix more frequently and watched more movies. Netflix isn't the only company that's doing this. Think about YouTube. See those suggestions on YouTube? And you're on to the next. They, they actually, don't they just play the next video, like one ends, then the next suggested video sh shows up, and the next thing you know, you're like, uh-huh, it's been 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm late for that meeting I was supposed to go to. When I think about this, and, and again, Netflix, Netflix is just one example, YouTube, plenty of other examples that suggest things for us. Here's how I view our lives, as if we're on this giant conveyor belt being conveyed along down one path, and then the algorithms predict what's best for us. They tell us what to value with these suggestions. They move us down a different path. Uh, one phrase that I circled in, in one of these books, which I absolutely love this phrase, an algorithmic journey of life. We are all on an algorithmic journey of life. We're on this conveyor belt. Here's some suggestions. You're going to love this. Here's some recommendations. Keep your eyeballs on our platform because the longer you're on our platform, the more money you generate for us. <laughs> they want your eyeballs because it gives people more money 
in their pocket. Uh, let's talk about Facebook for a minute. For a minute, uh, another book, "Weapons of Math Destruction." Love that title by data scientist Kathy O'Neill. As soon as I hit send, speaking about Facebook, that post belongs to Facebook. As soon as you hit send, your picture, your thoughts, your idea no longer belongs to you. It now belongs to the platform upon which you have posted it. And the social network's algorithm now makes a judgment about how to best use it. So it calculates the odds that it will appeal to each of my friends. Hmm, which friends will actually like this photo and which friends won't? Because we're not going to show it to the ones that aren't going to like it based off of past likes, clicks, and engagement. Now, while Facebook may feel like a modern town square, the company determines, according to its interests, what we see and learn on its social network. Your social media feed is curated by the platform that you are on. Uh, there was an interview or a, a study done in 2013 asking people if they thought that Facebook showed them all the posts from their friends. 62% of people in 2013 said, well, of course. Of course Facebook shows me information from my friends from all of my friends. That is not true. The feed that you see on your social media account is a feed that that platform determines is best for you. They're telling you what to value. They're telling you what's important. They're predicting what will be important to you. You're on that conveyor belt. This algorithmic journey of life. You know what this does? It creates our world for us. And here's where I think the danger becomes. It takes us off the path of evolving self-discovery. Because here's what I believe about you, what I believe about me, all of us. You're not the same person today that you were, that you were yesterday. And the person that you are today, you're going to be a different person a week from now. Wouldn't it be great if we could determine the path our life is moving? As opposed to being on this conveyor belt of someone else's making, of someone else predicting, hey, here, here's the world that I want you to continue forming. Wouldn't it be great if we could create our own world through the steps that we take? We could take power back and not create a life that's based on some algorithm, but create a life that's based on our choosing. I have this phrase, uh, typecast. I kind of liken it to that. Think about actors uh, who have been typecast. Uh, come, Jim Carrey comes to mind. <laughs> Seeing him in a serious role, just you're like, whoa, is that Ace Ventura? Like, uh, <laughs> no. It's almost like the algorithms typecast you to be a particular person. And then the longer you're immersed in their system, the more they tell you what to value, the deeper you're entrenched in that way of being. Because you're just being fed all the things that that algorithm believes will keep you glued to their platform. Uh, Jaron Lanier, I love this. Uh, Unless and until you know yourself, even you won't have standing to argue about what's right for you. And you can't know yourself until you go to the trouble to experiment a bit. The truth is, is you're way more complex and mysterious than an algorithm can predict. You ever try to figure out your spouse, 
a good friend? You ever try to figure out yourself? Are you like me where you constantly amaze yourself and you're like, whoa, didn't know that was in there. Didn't know I thought that. If we're on this conveyor belt with a system that's creating a world for us, it gives us no space to reflect, to be silent, no space to understand who we are, what the Spirit's speaking to us, what's swirling around within ourselves. Unless you know yourself. I mean, that takes a lifetime to know yourself. And just when you think you get there, you're like, huh, there's another layer. Didn't realize that was there. You are way more mysterious and complex than any algorithm could give you credit for. Here's the second warning. Uh, Algorithms communicate your value. Constantly being ranked, sorted, and compared. Uh, Algorithms, it's billions of dollars spent on creating these algorithms billions of dollars because the more you're in a particular system the more money you make for that company they pay people data scientists billions and billions of dollars to create these algorithms to predict what will keep you glued there Uh, here's a few examples of uh, what algorithms are used for how much credit to be offered to you through the bank Uh, who gets into college Uh, Weapons of Math Destruction. If you're interested in learning about the algorithms and how they create inequality, that book, oh my goodness, example after example. These these are from that book. Uh, How some people get into college, others don't get into college based off of particular uh, algorithms. Teacher performance based on algorithms. Who gets hired for the job. Insurance rates. Even who is given jail time and who is set free. All based on computer-generated algorithms. Subtitle of uh, Weapons of Math Destruction, How Algorithms Create Inequality and Threaten Our Democracy. Example after example. Uh, Here's Weapons of Math Destruction, Kathy O'Neill, data scientist. I started out building models to anticipate the behavior of visitors to various travel websites. This one scared me. The key question was whether someone showing up at the Expedia site was just browsing or looking to spend money. Those who weren't planning to buy were worth, and here's the phrase that got me, were worth very little value. Very little in potential revenue. You weren't going to buy something. You weren't going to purchase something. You weren't worth anything to these companies. Your value dropped immediately. So we would show them comparison ads for competing services such as Travelocity or Orbitz. If they clicked on the ad, it brought in a few pennies, which was better than nothing. Dangers of algorithm, they communicate our value. It's based on what you can produce, what can be extracted from you. And if you have a lot of value based off of their system, well, now you get shot straight up to the top. But if you have no value, well, at least we're going to try to make a few pennies off of you. We're going to try to get something out. Even though you don't have much to give, even though there's not much value, very little worth, we're still going to get as much as we can from you. Think about what that does to how we value ourselves, how we value each other when we're constantly swimming in a world like this. Think about social media ranking uh, and how we compare value. Ooh, how many followers does this person have? 
oftentimes I feel like people doing some of the most important work, they, they go unnoticed. But it's the people who are the loudest, the people who have been able to game the system, who can figure out the algorithms, who get shot to the top. What does that tell us about what we value in this culture? Those doing the most important work sometimes, it's as if their value is down here, when in reality their value should be up here, but we're just not exposed to who they are. We, we, don't, we don't hear about them because they're just silently going about doing their work, and they're not concerned with this game that the rest of us are playing. I think about us uh, SEO, search engine optimization. We do it for the website because it helps with Google searches. What this communicates is that if you can figure out the system, then you're going to be shot to the top. So we, we just go about finding out what the system, what the algorithm wants. And if you can figure it out, well, then now you have value. Now you're going to be successful. So the danger of algorithms is they tell us what to value, but then they also communicate to us how valued we really are. And if you haven't figured out a way to game the system, well, then your value seems to be a bit lower. Uh, all this value based on externals versus an in inherent value that you all possess within you. Uh, there's people who have protested these algorithms. Came across this picture, <laughs> which maybe uh, we should get a little picket line in front of Look Cinemas next week. Create your own slogan. Your algorithm doesn't know me. Because some people are fed up with these algorithms and what they communicate about ourselves. But I think there's a truth that goes way beyond these signs and these slogans. There's this idea of protest. It's been in existence thousands, thousands of years. And it shows up when Jesus was baptized. <laughs> we read this verse last week, Matthew chapter 3. Soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I loved. With him I am well pleased. We're in the beginning of the book of Matthew. What has Jesus done up until this point? Nothing. Nothing of value. This whole ministry that Matthew describes comes after this. Other gospel accounts will put the baptism right there in the beginning before Jesus does anything of his ministry. And yet, what are the words that are spoken over him? It's my son. I love him. He hasn't done anything to prove his worth. He hasn't provided value in, in the way in which the culture speaks about value. I'm pleased with him. Simply because of who he is. His value that's inherent within him. See, the danger of algorithms, the danger of this world that we're swimming in is that we can look externally for our value. And we can get swept up with comparing ourselves, with ranking, sorting, paying attention to what culture will often tell us is valuable. And if we don't match up, if we don't compare to others or to who we think we're supposed to be or where we think we should be in life, it's as if we begin to diminish our value. We de dehumanize ourselves. Sometimes we look at others and, ooh, they don't, have a, they don't have an Instagram page? <laughs> what kind of value do they have? 
Yeah, we're swimming in a world that values each other based off of what is seen externally. But this message that we see from thousands of years ago, it's my son. It's my daughter. It's my child. They have immense value and worth. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to prove anything. They carry tremendous value within them simply because they're here. And that's true about every single one of you. You're loved. God is pleased with you. There's nothing more that you need to do to earn that love or the value that God sees within you. It's yours. Just allow that truth to soak in. And we're going to celebrate a practice here this morning that I think is a practice of protest. We're going to celebrate Eucharist. Coming to the table together. It's an announcement of protest. Because in a world that ranks and sorts and compares, for us to actually come to the table together, we're saying we're all on equal footing. We're all of equal value. No one is better. No one is more or less. We come to the table out of a shared need for grace. A shared need to remind ourselves that our value isn't found out there by what we can provide for others. But rather our value is right here. And so when we celebrate Eucharist, Jesus on the cross, we are reminded that this is what speaks of our value. A value that is God-given. A value that is inherent within all of us. A value that doesn't need to be worked for, doesn't need to be earned, but a value that's been with you ever since you took your first breath and a value that will walk with you every step you take.